Our hope is unshakable. And we thank you that you left heaven in our behalf in your great love which we can barely scratch the surface of apart from your revelation of yourself to us. I ask this morning that you would open the eyes of our understanding because you are the way, because you are the truth, and because you are the life. And no matter where we are, no matter what we face, no matter what we will face, you made a way where there was no way and you have secured eternal life for us now and for all eternity. Father, open the eyes of our understanding even now. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help me and that you would speak through me. I humble myself and give you these, this time and these words in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a good place to start is what, what does the anchor man do in a relay race? But before I do that, let me um, tell you a little bit about Bullet Bob Hayes. In the, re in the relay race that he ran, he got, he was in last place when he got the baton. All the, the, the four guys that were ahead of him, they're already off and running, off to the races. So he, he, he went in in a bad position. But what, what he did is he caught him, all those runners, those four run, other runners there, and he passed them and he won. And so the, the anchor man. His job is if there's a deficit or if there's an advantage, you make up the deficit, deficit or if you got the advantage, you secure it so that nobody's going to catch you and you're going to prevail and you're going to win. So, in this race, before it started, um, a French rival remarked to the American uh, the American that he was talking the American runner so before the race started this French guy who was also in the race this is what he told the first guy in the leg of the relay race you haven't got anything except bullet Bob Hayes and the, Amer and the American responded this is the guy who's going to do the first leg and this is what he said. That's all we need, pal. So to a greater truth, when we say, we've got Jesus, but my goodness, that is more, more than enough, more than Bullet Bob Hayes, that, that is the one. He is the one who made up a tremendous deficit that we could never make up on our own and secured it for us. So 
I want to do for the sermon text this morning a familiar set of passages from Hebrews chapter 6, starting at verse 13. And there we find these words. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. So, as I was praying and asking the Lord and working through this message and uh, talking about him being the anchor man, uh, it begs the question, what does he want us to anchor into? What does he want us to latch on to? And so, just think about what an anchor does for a minute. And think about that anchor, its, its purpose. So the anchor is to keep a ship from drifting. An anchor is to hold secure. And in this uh, set of scriptures, there's, there's two things that the Lord really wanted me to, in, in terms of that anchoring, that he wanted me to, to bring out. And that, that are these. First of all, it says, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when he goes on and he talks about him swearing by himself to end all the disputes, he is the final word. He said, what's, what's the one thing that I can do? I can swear, I can make the oath by myself. And that's what he does. Him being the final word. There's no one who can add to it. There's no one who can take away from it. And when he says, when God desired to show more convincingly, 
It reminded me of Paul's words in writing to Timothy, where he says, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now, you know as well as I do, between the time that Paul makes that statement or we make that declaration to the time that we go home with the Lord or he comes back, there's a lot of things that we're going to face. Some of them we, we may not even see coming, but they're going to come and they're going to try to assault us. We've got an enemy who has wiles and cunnings and snares. But nevertheless, nevertheless, and considering what Paul encountered in terms of stoning, stoning being shipwrecked, beaten, even when it was told to him ahead of time by a prophet that you're going to be bound and this is what's going to happen. You're going to go into Rome and you're going to stand before these people. He makes that declaration, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. He is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And then when Paul, that last day came, he was able to say, I have fought the fight. I have run the race. I am going to cross the finish line. And henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown. It wasn't a matter of just surviving. It wasn't just a matter of hanging on by the fingernails. It was his confident boasting and spiritual declaration of who it was that who has carried him and who brought him to that place he knew his anchor man it was Jesus that same anchor man that that he could say that Jesus said to him my strength is made perfect in your weakness all we bring to the table is weakness And he said, great, good. Now, let me in and let me do what I want to do to secure your finish, to bring you through this, to prevail, to, to glorify myself, for you to live into the life I have for you. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. I was reminded... Of, of, of the, <laughs> the worship song in Christ alone. And the very first verse in this song, it says, it says in, in Christ alone, My hope is found. There's a place in that, in that verse where it says these words. It says that he was firm through the fiercest drought and storm. And I'm thinking about 
For us, yes, that's true. But I'm thinking about what he himself undertook on our behalf. And so it says, In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my strength, my cornerstone. The solid rock. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. So when he entered into Jerusalem on, on Palm Sunday, I just want you to consider for a moment he, that he knew what he was entering into. So, and, and so him going into Jerusalem, there, there's one thing that I, I want to bring out in his, going, in his walk here on earth and going into Jerusalem. He, he was fully God and fully man. He was truly both of those. So, before he even enters into Jerusalem, the mother of the sons of Zebedee comes up to him and says, Hey, take my two sons, place one on your right and one on your left. And there's an argument that, 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 with the disciples then, because they, they heard, they found out about this. Really? He goes into Jerusalem and there are people there, there are, there are true believers there who do say, Hosanna, hail to the king, and that's good. But there are also those there who had a different expectation that finally, right now, the Romans are going to get their comeuppance. And so when that didn't really happen then, What did they do? And it wasn't long later in that week, the mob, the same people that were saying hail to the king, were yelling at the top of their lungs, crucify him. What kind of a commitment and belief is that? Then you've got the Pharisees. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, the, those people, who were supposed to be an example, set an example, and point the way to Jesus. And what did they do? They tried to ensnare him. Their goal was to kill him. Just think about that for a minute. The religious leaders of that day, the ones who were supposed to be like the guideposts to help you in your journey of life. And if you read in one of the gospel accounts, Jesus goes into seven, seven woes against them. Jesus, as he, before he, he goes into Jerusalem, he, he weeps over Jerusalem because of the judgment that is to come, because they missed their opportunity of visitation. And there were those in the Pharisaical group who it said they believed in God, but they didn't say anything because they were afraid. And it says that they loved the praise of men rather than the praise of God. 
then one then think about the fact that Jesus going into this week going into this let me phrase it this way how would you feel if you shared something with somebody a friend something confidential and you were betrayed You'd probably feel hurt. You'd probably feel anguish. You'd probably feel... That would really do something on the inside of you. And I'm, I'm thinking about any one of these situations, how stressful that would have been. And not the least of which, Jesus is going to go to the cross... And in John 12, 27, he says, he says I'm, I'm troubled. And he says uh, to his disciples, what shall I say? Shall I, shall I not go forward? He says, no, for this purpose, for this purpose I have come, to, to fulfill the plan of salvation. So he's carrying all these things inside him. And... I can remember, and this pales in comparison, but I can tell you of a time when I had to go to the dentist for root canal. And I didn't like going to the dentist to begin with. Knowing that it was root canal really didn't console me any. And I can tell you that the time, and this was my first ever root canal, and I can tell you my palm prints are still on the arm of that chair. But, but going into this, and there's one other person, though it's not mentioned here, I think there's one other person, but let me say it this way, there's another person that I have to believe Jesus had on his mind. You remember when Jesus went up to the temple after he was born and it was prophesied to Mary that her heart would be pierced. And though it's not mentioned right here, I, Jesus knew that. It's not like he it's not like he'd forgotten about it. I'm, I'm saying there's, there's a person here that when the, as he drew close to the cross, you know, I have to believe, I don't want to make an argument out of silence, but if that was prophesied to her, and it says that Mary pondered things in her heart, as this day is getting closer, she's, she's thinking about this. And then when we see, when we see uh, Jesus on the cross, he said, here's my provision to, for, you to, for you to be taken care of by John. So here, here's something, with all of that going on, here's something else to throw in the mix of all of this and that he was purposeful to carry out the plan of salvation that was established from the foundations of the earth. And that's this. You know in the garden, he could have opted out. Do you remember when Peter cut off the servant's ear? And what did, what did Jesus tell Peter? He, he said, I've got a legion of angels there that are ready to come down at my, 
They're ready to come down. I just picture that for a moment. There's a legion of angels. They can come down just like that. And that would just wipe out everything there. Just look what the one angel did in the Old Testament with Sennacherib. Destroyed a whole army. Okay. In the same garden, these, uh, the Roman soldiers came. And these were not weekend warriors. These guys were seasoned, trained. They knew what they were doing. So they come and they say, where is Jesus? We want to take him. We want to arrest him. And what does Jesus say? I am he. What happened? Do you remember what happened? They fell to the ground. So I think in two, two instances there, Jesus said, you know, hey guys, it's not like things have gone out of chaos and things are out of control and boy, this is going to end up with an alternate ending and be bad. He, he had those options that when those soldiers were on the ground, when he said, I am he, just think about it. He, he was still in control. And I believe he, he did. He put those scriptures in there to convey to us that, guys, I've got this. I'm not some haphazard guy who's trying to do the right thing and they're going to crucify me. And wow, it didn't end well for me. No, no, not that at all. So, in Romans 8, Verses 3 and 4, we find these words. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in who? Might be fulfilled in us. You want to talk about an anchor man who walked not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. That also reminded me of another set of verses. I should say he reminded me and that was this. And this is found in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. That is where the hallelujah, Ralph. And so that brings me to this verse, set of verses, and that is in Hebrews chapter 4. 
starting at verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Why? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Just think about that for a moment. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is such a powerful set of statements. And that brings, that brings me to a story that I came across by Max Lucado. And uh, this is a story about uh, two college women's softball teams, one from Oregon and one from Washington. And um, there was a nice-sized crowd there on hand. The winner would advance to go to the division playoffs, and the loser would hang up the gloves and go home. The Western Oregon Wolves were a sturdy team that boasted several strong batters. But Sarah Tokolsky was not one of them. She hit one, she hit a buck 53. Really? And played in the game only because the first string right fielder had muffed a play earlier in the day. Sarah had never hit a home run. Well, there's another Sarah here. But on that Saturday, with two runners on base, she connected with a curveball and sent it sailing over the left field fence. In her excitement, Sarah missed first base. Uh-oh. Oh, jeez. Oh, Man. Her coach shouted for her to return and touch it. When she turned and started back, something popped on her knee and down she went. Oh, man. She dragged herself back to the bag, pulled her knee to her chest in pain and asked the first base coach, what do I do? The umpire wasn't sure. He knew if any of Sarah's teammates assisted her, she would be out. Sarah knew if she tried to stand, she would collapse. Her team couldn't help her. Her leg couldn't support her. How could she cross home plate? The umpires huddled the talk. And while they huddle and Sarah groans, may I make a comparison? Blame it on the preacher and me, but I see an illustration in this moment. You and I have a lot in common with Sarah Tokolsky. We too have stumbled, not in baseball, but in life. In morality, honesty, integrity. We have done our best only to trip and fall. Our finest efforts have left us flat on our backs like Sarah. We're weak, not with torn ligaments, but with broken hearts, weary spirits, and fading vision. 
The distance between where we are and where we want to be is impassable. And I would say impossible. Romans 5 talks about sin reigning, death reigning. Them having those things having to rule over us. Us being enslaved to them. What do we do? Where do we turn? I suggest we turn to one of the sweetest promises. For our high priest, Jesus is unable, excuse me, for our high priest, Jesus is able to understand our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. Let us then feel very sure that we can come before God's throne where there is grace. There we can receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. We have a high priest who is able to understand. Since he understands, we find mercy and grace when we need it. We are not left to language, languish. When we fall, we are not forgotten. When we stumble, we aren't abandoned. Our God gets us. Not one drop. Okay. But Jesus, but if Jesus was both God and man at the same time, then we have the best of both worlds. Neither his humanity nor deity compromised. He was fully human. He was fully divine. Because of the first, we draw near. Because of the latter, we worship. Such is the message of Colossians 1:15 and 16. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Not one drop of divinity was lost in the change to humanity. And then some have pointed to the sinlessness of Jesus is evidence that he cannot fully understand us. If he never sinned, they reason, how could he understand the full force of sin? Simple. He felt it more than we do. We give in. He never did. We surrender. He never did. He stood before the tsunami of temptation and never wavered. In that manner, he understands it more than anyone who ever lived. And then... In his grandest deed, he volunteered to feel the consequences of sin. God made him who had, no sin to, who, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Remember when I was talking about going to the dentist in the root canal? Jesus, the hour coming when he was going to be stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God. Jesus didn't deserve to feel the shame, but he felt it. He didn't deserve the humiliation, but he experienced it. He had never sinned, yet he was treated like a sinner. He became sin. All the guilt, remorse, and embarrassment. Jesus understands it. To, does this promise matter? To the hypocrite, it does. To the person with a hangover and fuzzy memory about last night's party, it does. To the cheater, Slanderer, gossip, or scoundrel who comes to God with a humble spirit. It matters. It matters because they need to know that we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help in our time of need. Because Jesus is human, he understands you. Because he is divine, he can help you. He is uniquely positioned to carry us home. Jesus does for us what Mallory Holtman did for Sarah Tikulski. Sarah, remember, is the girl who tore an ACL during her home run trot. When we left her, she was lying on the ground, clutching her knee with one hand and touching first base with the other. The umpires huddled. The players stood and watched. The fans shouted for someone to take Sarah off the field, but she didn't want to leave. She wanted to cross home plate. Mary Holtman came up with the solution. She played first base for the opposing team. Central Washington University, she was a senior and wanted a victory. A loss would end her season. You'd think Mallory would be happy to see the home run nullified. She wasn't. Hey, she said to the umpires, can I help her around the bases? Why would you want to do that, one asked. Before she could answer, the ump shrugged and said, do it. So Mallory did. She signaled for the shortstop to help her and the, and the two walked toward the injured player. We're going to pick you up and carry you around the bases. I was hoping I wouldn't get sweaty eyeballs here. By this time, tears streaked down Sarah's cheeks. Thank you. Mallory and her friend put one hand under Sarah's legs and the other hand under Sarah's arms. The mission of mercy began. They paused long enough at second and third base to lower Sarah's foot to touch the bases. By the time they headed home, the spectator... The spectators had risen to their feet. Sarah's teammates had gathered at home plate and Sarah, and Sarah was smiling like a homecoming queen. Well, she should. The only one who could help her did. And because she did, Sarah made it home. God offers and did the same thing for you and for me. You know how hard it is to preach with sweaty eyeballs? Isaiah 53, 3, and 3 through 6, we find these words there. Sure, sure, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his stripes 
we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In Isaiah 46, verse 4, I like this verse. And there it, it says, Even to old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. And that just doesn't mean when we pass through the gates. That's in the here and now. So, on a practical matter, seeing this anchor man, there's some things that we can do on a daily basis to enter in to that advantage that he has secured for us. And the first is this, surrender. We hear a lot about surrender, but that's the one thing that we're going to do. That's the one thing that we can do. We're either, the only thing we are capable of doing is giving up. Did you know that? The question is to who? Surrender and humble ourselves and say, God, I'm giving this situation to you. I'm giving myself to you. And these are your words. And remember earlier when I prayed because it's, it's true. If he's the final word, and it's impossible for him to lie because his words are unbreakable. Our hope and our faith can be unshakable. And then I believe it's important every person, every Christian should have some go-to verses in their arsenal. Because you know what? Sometimes when we feel like the enemy gets the upper hand, it helps us, it brings us to a place of pause and gives God a chance. And it gives him, not the chance, it gives him the opportunity to enter in. So just let me tell you, I've got many in my quiver, by the way. But let me just put this one out to you because... There's been many a time when I used to beat up on myself all the time. And you know, just like Peter would say, oh, I'm not going to deny you, Lord. Not me. You're talking to Peter. You're not talking to somebody else here. The 12, you're talking to Peter. And we know what happened with Peter. But here's a verse. This is one of my go-to verses. This is in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. And it says there that where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. If that doesn't pick you up off the floor, if you don't have a go-to verse in your quiver or in your arsenal, you come and see me. And I promise you, 
I'm going to give you a go-to verse or verses. And I can say that confidently because he's my anchor man and because he's your anchor man. And that brings me to this last point, and that's this. It's the last verse of in Christ alone. And it's this. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Doesn't matter what the situation, what the circumstance, He's the final word. He has procured, He has secured, He has paid for in full all of your sins and canceled the, the requirements, the rules, nailed them to the cross. And we, in exchange, are made righteous. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. So what I would like to do now is this. I don't know where Dan has this song in the mix. But I believe very strongly in the power of blessing. I believe very, I believe without shadow of a doubt the power of making spiritual proclamations. And Hebrews says, let us hold fast our confession. There's great reward. And so I want us to sing this song. And I'm thinking of the first and the last verse, but as we sing the entire song, but when you, when you think of that first verse, think about Jesus the anchor man. And invite him into your situations. And give those situations to him. Because he's the one that made up the deficit. He's the one that makes the victory and achieved victory for us. And then in that last set of verses, you know, we're, we're still living in this life. There's things we're going to encounter. But I tell you this. You prophesy this to yourself. You declare this over yourself. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Not me, not the enemy, not your neighbor. Jesus. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. We know whom we have believed. And if there's someone here this morning who wants, who wants to know more and, and to enter into a relationship with this anchor man who in all points was tempted as we were, yet without sin, who wants to enter into that victory that he purchased for you, and for me, and for the world. If you don't know him, if you don't have that, then I want you to see me after church or just come up to me 
now and we'll go out in the narthex and we'll, we'll talk and we'll pray. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are anchor man. From the beginning of time, you had a plan that we were on your mind, that you chose to please the Father, to execute the plan, and to secure and reconcile us to yourself and to carry us, to carry us till we are home with you forever. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.